0: Good morning. Well, I want to thank the elders here for the invitation to speak to you all. I'm very pleased to be with you, and um, it's just a joy to be here. Uh, My wife and I had the joy of worshiping with you all in December, I think it was a year ago, and um, just such a a nice spirit here in this congregation, and we are blessed. I am uh, associate pastor at Cornerstone Community Church. You've already heard I've been there a long time. Been there 25 years. Been on staff for close to 20. Uh, my wife Elizabeth and I have two children, two grown children. My son is 28, and my daughter's almost 26. And we are a household who loves our pets. And uh, we we used to have a dog, two cats, two hamsters, and a bird. And now we are down to two cats and a bird. And we are protecting the bird, you know, because cats. <laughs> So but it has been a, uh, a huge blessing to get to know Pastor Joe and Pastor Greg and this church uh, over the past several years. Um, you guys are blessed. You really are. You have leaders, servant leaders here who love you, they love the Lord, they love the word, and they preach it faithfully. And I'll tell you what, it is one of the great joys of ministry to partner with like-minded churches like Tri-County. And so I'm thankful for our friendship with you. It's a blessing. And Happy Father's Day to the dads, um, especially those of you who are still parenting young children. Um, it's, it's a huge thing. It is not for the weak need and the faint of heart. And uh, we need to lean hard on God's grace. So anyway, we are going to be in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. We're going to look at the first five verses. So if you brought a Bible, uh, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be talking this morning about living the new you. It's been my prayer that God would show you more and more who you are in Christ, what is now true of you, that you are in Christ and how to grow in holiness. We love our Bibles. We love our Bibles because there's so much wonderful, beautiful, encouraging, life-giving truth in the scriptures. We need to be reading. We need to have our faces in the scriptures because we need to be reading about God's goodness. We need to be reading about the life-giving truth that's in there and we have leaky brains I know I do, and we can so easily forget, and we get swept up in the troubles of the world. and So we need to be reminded of God's goodness and His mercy and His grace. But if you're anything like me, sometimes you come across a verse in Scripture and and it kind of punches you in the face, and it stings a little bit. As our founding pastor would say, it would give you a sanctified slap a challenge toward holiness. We'll read in a verse like 1 Peter 1, verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God calls you to be as holy as God is. In all your conduct. And so here we have a verse and we have different reactions. Some of us will look at that verse and just kind of forget it, pass on, keep reading. Let's read something a little bit more encouraging, shall we? Some of us get discouraged. Some of us get overwhelmed. We're reminded of how unholy we are still and how weak we can be in the face of temptation, how vulnerable we are to stubborn, habitual sins, sinful pride, and anger, and laziness, and lust, sexual immorality, idolatries of various kinds, impatience, and whatever else has its claws in your heart. And we know they dishonor God. We know they grieve the Spirit. And we just have trouble overcoming some of these things. The first 17 verses of Colossians 3 is one of the clear key passages on how we grow in holiness. And if you've struggled with long-term habits of sin, whether they're bigger or smaller sins, and you're frustrated and you can't seem to overcome them, it could very well be that you have not yet understood and grasped the truth that's in this passage or other passages like it. So we're going to focus our time this morning on the first five verses of Colossians chapter 3. So let's read them together. I will read out loud. I'm in the English Standard Version. The Apostle Paul is writing. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these the wrath of God is coming. We'll stop there. And since we're landing in the middle of a, of a book this morning, we're going to have to take that passage apart a little bit, understand the meaning and the application to our lives. So the first principle to put into practice is to embrace your new identity. Embrace your new identity. A fundamental truth you need to understand and embrace is that if you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you are not the same you you used to be. You're a new you. Your identity at the core of who you are has changed, and it's gotten a significant upgrade. There's a lot of talk in recent years about identity. I saw a t-shirt that says, always be yourself. Unless you can be Batman, then always be Batman. I mean, right, Batman. How cool would that be? But so much of identity today is tied up in what group you belong to, your gender, your race or ethnicity, your nationality, your economic class, your political affiliations or party. But if you are a Christian, your identity is tied directly and completely in who you belong to. No matter what other groups you may identify with, if you are a Christian, Your identity in Christ defines you in far more important and significant ways than any other thing could define you. It marks you at the center of your soul, at the core of who you are. Your identity in Christ changes you. And understanding and embracing this truth is critical in your growth and holiness. Now, I know you know this because you're taught well at Tri-County, but becoming a Christian is not simply a decision to follow Jesus. Like you would decide to start following the Browns because we finally have a good team. Or becoming a Christian does not mean that I decided to start going to church on Sundays. Becoming a Christian is a supernatural work of God. It is not simply a decision on your part, and it transforms you. The whole triune Godhead is involved in your salvation. Jesus said in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So if you have come to Christ and you have placed your faith in Jesus, God was drawing you. Jesus did everything that was needed to be done to purchase your salvation. And we cannot fully grasp the gospel message unless the Holy Spirit opens our spiritual eyes to see it. And the faith to believe is itself a gift from God, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Growing up, I had no real idea what it meant to be a Christian. I kind of didn't like thinking about the idea of dying because I had no idea what would happen when I died. It frightened me to a certain point, so I just never even thought about it. I pushed, kind of pushed it away. I had no idea what it took to qualify for heaven. I believed in heaven, but how do you get there? I figured it had to be something connected to being a good person. It had to be something connected with going to church on Sundays And there were a bunch of born-again Christians in my extended family on my mother's side. But to me, to be a born-again Christian was to just be one of those radical Jesus people. They just kind of made me feel uncomfortable. I mean, they were very nice. Super nice. Really, like, super sugary sweet nice. And, um, oh, but, you know, I just, for some reason, they just made me uncomfortable with a lot of, you know, praise Jesus and such. But I grew up going to church. I learned things about God. I knew the story of Jesus. I knew the story of his virgin birth, his sinless life, his death on a cross. But I never really put it all together. Why, why did he do all of that? How does it connect to my life? And it wasn't until I was about 17 years old that the Holy Spirit turned on the light of understanding in my heart. He gave me eyes to see and he gave me a heart to believe my brother invited me to a, uh, a midweek church service. Midweek church service? This was a new idea for me. This was July 1981. And the pastor shared the message of the gospel in a way that I, I truly never heard it before. I had all these pieces about Jesus and the cross and all this stuff. But at that meeting, he put all those pieces together for me. No one had to convince me that I was a sinner. I knew that. And I don't think I've ever had to persuade anybody to admit that they were a sinner. I knew for sure that I had violated God's moral commands. I didn't need to be convinced that Jesus had died on a cross. I knew about that. I heard that before. But that night, I heard that Jesus, the divine Son of God, came to die for sinners, including me. He came to take the judgment due to us on himself, including my judgment. He came to offer forgiveness and salvation freely to everyone, including me. But I learned that I needed to personally respond to that offer. He held it out to me. I learned that I could know for sure that I would go to heaven when I died, and that was an unreal comfort to me. It was a beautiful truth, but I needed to turn from my sin and to trust fully and completely and only in Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross. I finally understood that Jesus did everything that was needed to qualify me for heaven. It was his qualification, not mine. All I needed to do is come to him with empty hands of faith and say, thank you for this gift. And trust fully and only in him. And when God saves you by his grace, he does amazing things in your life. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. He gives you a new ability to understand spiritual truth that you didn't have before. He gives you a new power over sin that you didn't have before. He gives you a new desire to know Christ better that you didn't have before. He gives you a new desire to please and honor Christ with your life. He gives you a new ability to obey God. You didn't have that before. It's all the supernatural work of God at the core of your being. Paul says that you are now in Christ. Well, let's notice three truths in this passage that Paul teaches us about who we are now in Christ. First, notice that you have died. In verse 3, Paul addresses the old you, the you you were before your faith in Christ. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's a pretty profound thing to say, you have died. I feel pretty alive. Thank you very much. Well, what does he mean, you have died? There's various nuances about this death. But Paul is talking about who you were before you believed. Before God saved you and placed you in Christ, you were in Adam, the first man. Your union was not with Christ, it was with Adam. And when Adam sinned, all people after him were born with a sin nature, a tendency, a predisposition to sin. No one has to teach us how to sin, we do that pretty well automatically. You and I are not sinners because we sin, we sin because we're sinners. That's who we are in our nature in in union with Adam. In your old you, in Adam, you were spiritually dead. You were unable to fully grasp spiritual truth. You were spiritually blind. In Adam, you were by nature a child of wrath because of your sin. You were on your way to judgment. In Adam, you were enslaved to sin. You were powerless over it. But now by your faith in Christ, in his death, you have died. That old you has died. In a profound spiritual sense. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, it said, You were buried with him. And because of your spiritual union with Christ, you have died to all that you were in your union with Adam. Notice the second truth about who you are in Christ. You have been raised with Christ. In Christ, you have not only died to who you were in Adam, in your union with Christ, you have been raised with Christ. Christ was raised, you were raised with him. Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. We see that in chapter 2 as well in verse 12. You were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. If you are a Christian, if you have been united to Christ by faith, you have been raised with Christ in his resurrection. In Jesus' resurrection, you have been resurrected from your old union with Adam to a new life in Christ. So the sense here, he uses the word if, if then you have been raised. The sense is for the Christian, it's not an if, it's as if it's in doubt. The the sense really here is since. Because this is true of you as a Christian, you have been raised with Christ. You are a new you. You're a different person in a very significant way. Some things have changed in you at the core of who you are. Paul talks about this incredible new reality in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And in the Old Testament, God talked about the new covenant he was going to bring in Jesus Christ. He says to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36, he says, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In Christ, you have a new heart. You have a new desire, a new ability to obey Christ, and you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you to empower you to do such things. And another thing that's true of you now is this. And this is vital for you to understand. In your union with Christ, in your union with Christ, God has broken the dominion of sin in your life. God has broken the stranglehold, the ruling power of sin in your life. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 6. Listen for the ways that Paul talks about how you've been set free from the ruling power of sin in Christ. Listen. Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him. We were just talking about that. Our old self is all of who you were in your union with Adam, enslaved to sin. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. Paul says that you are no longer under the dominion of sin. The ruling power of sin. It no longer has a death grip on your life like it used to. It no longer has the power over you like it once did. The important question for you today is this. Do you believe it? Do you believe this? It's really important for your growth and holiness that you believe this and understand it. It may feel sometimes like you're powerless over your temptation and sin, especially long-term habitual sins. You may feel the draw of temptation and feel like sin is inevitable because this is the way I've been. but it's because you're so used to rolling over and giving into it that it has this grip still on you. You need to understand that that dominion has been broken. The Bible says there is a war going on. The flesh is still at war with the spirit. Peter says in 1 Peter 2 that the passions of the flesh wage war against your soul. And we feel that. We feel that war. We feel that tension. I want to do what's right, but yet I feel the pull of sin. And that war is going to be with us to the very end until we see Jesus, and then it's going to be gone one day. Thank the Lord, right? But here's the good news. You used to be a sitting duck as the flesh and the devil were lobbing flaming darts and scud missiles at your heart. You used to bring a pea shooter to the war against sin and temptation. But now in Christ, you bring a cannon to that war. You bring a howitzer to that war that you didn't have before. Remember that when temptation arises. God has broken the dominion of sin over my life. It no longer has a stranglehold over me. This is not happy talk. This is spiritual truth. Consider it to be true. Reckon it to be so. Believe it. Sink it into your heart and walk by faith in it. John Owen, the great Puritan pastor and theologian, wrote a book called A Treatise on the Dominion of Sin and Grace. He said there are really only two problems that pastors have in the ministry, and I would include biblical counselors have in the ministry. Two problems we have. Persuading those who are under the dominion of sin that they are under the dominion of sin. And that's the task of evangelism. The second problem is persuading those who are no longer under the dominion of sin that they are no longer under the dominion of sin. Because they are Christ's author Wayne Grudem wrote about this reality in his systematic theology. He said this In practical terms, this means that we must affirm two things to be true On the one hand, we will never be able to say I am completely free from sin because our sanctification will never be completed on this side of heaven But on the other hand, a Christian should never say, for example this sin has defeated me, I give up I have had a bad temper for 37 years, and I will have one until the day I die, and people are just going to have to put up with me the way I am. God help us if we have a heart like that. That is not true of you in Christ. To say this is to say that sin has gained dominion, it is to allow sin to reign in our bodies, it is to admit defeat. It is to deny the truth of Scripture, which tells us you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, Romans 6.11. It is to deny the truth of Scripture that tells us sin will have no dominion over you, Romans 6.14. So much has happened to you at your conversion. Your conversion was not just your decision to follow Jesus. You're a new you by the grace and by the power of God. And you need to embrace it by faith and then remind yourself of it often. Remind yourself. When you're facing temptation, I am not the same you I used to be. Paul Tripp has said this a number of times, and I think it's really true. He said, no one is more influential in your life than you are. Because no one talks to you more than you do. You are talking to yourself all the time. Are you telling yourself what's true? Preach the truth to your own soul. Who you are now in Christ and what's now true of you. Notice the third truth about who you are now in Christ Christ is your life. Christ is your life. Now, if you blink, you can miss the point in verse 4 because it's couched within another truth. Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, it's like, whoa, let me back up. Christ, who is my life, appears. Christ is not simply a part of your life, like your work or your hobbies or your friends are a part of your life. Jesus doesn't just give you life. He is your life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.15, he says, He, Jesus, died for all that those who live, those who are alive in Christ, might no longer live for themselves, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, For to me, to live is Christ. And what does he follow that with? To die is gain. And there's that mysterious truth about how could death be gain? It's gain because we're going to get more of Christ. Because Christ is your life, Jesus and his reign as Lord in your life influences how you work, how you parent your children, how you speak, how you interact with people, how you spend your money, what you do with your time, and name it. Christ is your life. And it's beautiful. So, once we begin to grasp and then embrace our new identity in Christ, we need to commit to being renewed. Commit to being renewed. And this is really important. Because our sinfulness is still struggling and stuck in our flesh, and our minds and our hearts need to be constantly renewed. Our minds and our hearts need to be constantly renewed. Why? Because we have a real vulnerability to believe the lies of the devil and the world. We're wishy-washy. We forget spiritual truth. Our brains are leaky. We default to worldliness. We live by our emotions a lot of the times. We need to be renewed with truth. We have a natural tendency to drift with the current of the culture and blend in with the unbelieving world around us. Because it's easy. Don Carson put it like this People do not drift toward holiness. People do not drift toward holiness apart from grace driven effort people do not gravitate toward godliness prayer obedience to scripture faith and delight in the lord we drift toward compromise disobedience the indiscipline of lost self control prayerlessness and godlessness our minds and our hearts need to be renewed our hearts need to be washed in the truth on a daily basis to combat the drift that is so natural for us and as we renew our minds our lives begin to change in that direction we can't skip this step we can't skip it the apostle knew this was important So Paul gives us three admonitions in this passage in light of who you are in Christ. Three commitments to being renewed. And the first commitment to being renewed is to seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Look at verse 1. If then or since you have been raised with Christ, because this is true of you, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Where is Jesus now? He is seated at the right hand of God. It is the ultimate place of authority, authority over everything, everything. Paul says in Ephesians 1, verses 20 and 21, that God seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in the one to come. If there's any name in whatever age, he's above that one. That's the Jesus that we worship. That's the Jesus we serve. He is Lord. He is Lord of his creation. He is Lord of the earth. He is Lord of us as believers. So you and I, as we live our lives here, are to seek and keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is. Seek his lordship in everything. Paul says in chapter 2 verse 3 that in Christ are hidden in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So keep seeking Christ where he is. All the things that he has taught. So seek and keep seeking. Set your heart to know Christ, to know his wisdom, to know his word, to know his will. What's Jesus' perspective on ourselves? What's Jesus' perspective on our community? What's Jesus' perspective on our job, on our interactions with our neighbors? Look at people through the eyes of Christ. When he saw an unbeliever, he could have just started flinging lightning bolts and knocking them out. Instead, he had compassion on them because he knew that they were sheep without a shepherd. He knew that they needed him. So he had compassion on them. How does Jesus see people? How do you see people? Seek Jesus and his lordship over how you see people. Learn to love like Jesus loved. Learn to have compassion like Jesus had compassion. Learn to have grace like Jesus had grace, and so on. Honor Christ as Lord of your life. The second commitment to being renewed is to renew your mind. Renew your mind. Verse 2 Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Our minds are like all over the place a lot of times, aren't they? And too often they're not on things of God. My wife, Elizabeth likes to say, she always has like a dozen windows open all the time. You know, like on your desktop computer? You've got ten windows open, and mine goes from one window to another window to another window. If we don't discipline our minds to be oriented toward truth and biblical wisdom, our minds will drift toward just about everything else. So Paul says, set your minds on things above. It doesn't mean that we get the highest ladder we can find and stick our head in the clouds and just kind of like oh, oh, oh. and totally neglect all the regular temporal affairs on the earth like work and life insurance and being a godly attentive father or mother and so on he's saying at least two things he's saying at least two things he's saying don't be swayed by and absorbed in all the ways that the world thinks don't be swayed and absorbed in all the ways that the world thinks. And all the worldly values of the godless around us. Because we're bombarded with that constantly. Our minds need to be renewed. And secondly, don't set your mind on heart and your heart on the earthly or immoral things. Those are the kinds of things that the Apostle Paul is just about to say, put them to death. He said in verse 5 put to death therefore what is earthly in you so don't set your mind on things on the earth including sexual immorality impurity passion evil desire and so on in Colossians 3:16 Paul says let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so we don't just have a three-minute devotional time with our corn puffs in the morning and think, yes, good to go. Let the word of Christ live in you, dwell in you richly, that renews our minds and our hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. God's truth is way more satisfying to the soul than earthly things. Truly, truly. And as we set our minds on biblical truth, we have less room in our hearts for worldly things. John Piper says it this way. The most effective way to kill our own sin is by the power of a superior pleasure. No one sins out of duty. We sin because we think it is more pleasant or less painful than the way of righteousness. So bondage to sin is broken by a stronger attraction, a more compelling joy. And that's what the truth of Scripture is. Way more compelling, way more satisfying to the soul than the surpassing pleasures of sin. Our founding pastor used to say sin is like cotton candy. You know, it's like you put cotton candy in and it tastes good for a second and then it's like, ah, I'm getting cavities. God wants to fill you with delicious spiritual food. And as you fill your mind and your heart with delicious spiritual food, it'll push out your desire for earthly things. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean that temptations won't just pop up. But what do you do? Have a plan. Now, start meditating on spiritual food. Psalm 81.10, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. If you're hungry for spiritual truth, open yourself up wide and God will fill you with it. He is delighted to do that. If you're thirsty for spiritual drink, God has it in abundance. Listen to this pleading invitation that God makes in Isaiah 55, verses 1 to 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear to, and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. Be absorbed in the truth of Scripture and you'll lose your taste for worldly temptations. But if you're filling yourself up on junk food every day, you don't have any appetite for Steak and potato and asparagus, if you like asparagus, and Idaho potatoes. Your soul will be satisfied, and as you fix your eyes on Jesus, your life will be transformed in that direction. Paul says in Romans twelve two, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So the third commitment to being renewed is to put sin to death. Put sin to death. And we need to note that Paul did this in this order. He addressed your mind and your heart first because our behaviors flow out of what's going on in our hearts. So God is attacking what's going on in your mind and your heart. That's target number one when we're trying to grow in holiness. So we fill ourselves, and we remind ourselves, and we renew ourselves. And then he says, put to death, in verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, and the list goes longer than that in the verses following. He uses the word therefore, put to death, therefore, because your old you has died, because you've been raised with Christ, because, you are, because Christ is your life, because you're a new you, put away the sin that dishonors God. Kill it. All the things that he lists there, all the sins, sexual immorality, impurity, etc., are completely incompatible with who you are now. It doesn't fit your identity. You're a new you. Don't live like the old you. Don't go on living like the old you. He uses a very strong word here. Put to death what is earthly in you. Kill it. Mortify it. Show it no mercy. Make no provision for the flesh, he says in Romans 13. Don't provide for it. Don't feed it. Starve it. Your sin is no longer welcome in your life. You're a new you. It's no longer welcome. Don't welcome it. Don't treat your sinful habits and temptations like adorable little puppies running around your house. What do you do with puppies? You feed them. You nurture them. You pet them. You love them. You spend time with them. You play with them. Don't do that with your sin. Your sins are not cute. Your anger, your porn habit, your laziness, your unforgiveness is not cute. Like a little puppy. There are a bunch of deadly snakes and scorpions and hungry rats running around in your life. They want nothing but your destruction. So, when you see a snake in your house, what do you do? Do you play with it? You kill it in the power of the Spirit and a gun. Now, I know it's easier said than done. I know it's easier said than done. We would much rather God come down with his little flashy thing like they did in the, you know, uh, Men in Black. Poof. Away goes the temptation. A little pixie dust. Wouldn't that be much better? Wouldn't we love that more? Just take it away altogether, God. Yes, pray that. Take it away altogether, God. We pray. We get on our face. That's part of it. But it's it's a battle. That wasn't God's design to just give you pixie dust. You put it to death in reliance on the grace and power of the Spirit of God. Walk by faith. And then put on righteousness. It's not enough simply to be sin killers. We put on righteousness. Verse 5, puts sin to death. Verse 12, put on then godly character. So, here's our last point. Rejoice in the final you. Rejoice in the final you. Let's always remind ourselves that this life is not all there is. Our life in Christ is not all about this life. One day, all our struggle with sin will be over. Our war with sin will one day come to an end, and you will be fully and finally transformed. Praise God. Amen. One day, all our sin will be behind us and we'll be finally pure and sinless like Jesus because of Jesus. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, so you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus came to purchase our salvation. He came once, and he's coming back. Jesus is coming back. And what a great day that's going to be. He's going to finally wipe away all our sin. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. That is our ultimate hope. That's the thing that anchors our soul when things are getting crazy around us and our circumstances are difficult and our temptations seem to blast away at us. Remember that Jesus is coming back, and when he does, all your troubles, all your burdens, all your sin will be behind you. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day. Glorious day that will be. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are amazed by your grace. We are blown away that you love sinners like us stiff-necked, hard-hearted, impatient sinners like us. Thank you, God, that you made the way through Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. Thank you that you are drawing people like us to yourself. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that through your death and resurrection and our union with you by faith, we have power over sin like we never had in you Thank you for the indwelling spirit who empowers us, who encourages us, who convicts us, who draws us to Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you are not done with us yet. Help us, Lord Jesus, to preach the truth to ourselves. Help us to understand who we are in Jesus. God, would you transform us more and more into your image for your glory, for your good purposes. And help us, Lord Jesus, to fix our eyes on Christ and to fix our eyes on the inheritance that is waiting for us. Undefiled, kept in heaven for us. Renew us, Lord, by your word and be glorified in our lives, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.